0: recovery elevator episode 122
1: the fact that i couldn't stop the fact that i knew that you know my mother was an alcoholic and i knew how horrible that was for me as a a kid it just really um the the shame was just terrible Um, and that i think was probably the worst thing was just the shame
0: welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul churchill thank you so much for joining us According to the new Recovery Elevator Sobriety Tracker on my phone, I have got 1,004 days of sobriety. Yeah, it's kind of cool with this new app. There are a lot more milestones. Last week, I checked the app before I recorded the podcast, and it was 990 days. I had no idea that I was creeping up on 1,000 days of sobriety, so pretty cool. On today's podcast, we've got Becky. She's 42 years old. She's a mother from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and had to work through the HP stuff that would be the higher power stuff in AA to get sober. And before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code elevator for your first month free. Again, use the promo code elevator when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. This past Memorial Day weekend, I went to a lake house in Minnesota with 12 other people. It was a total shit show. I knew it was going to be, but I made it through sober. I couldn't have done it by myself, of course, and I didn't. White knuckling a weekend like that would have been difficult to near impossible. And if I did do it successfully, it wouldn't have been fun at all. But the good news is, is I had a sober friend with me named Dusty. And Dusty, if you're listening to this right now, thanks man for being there. We made it through together and we both had a lot of fun. And like I mentioned, I didn't do it alone. I made it a point. The very first thing that I did each morning was connect on Cafe RE with my iPhone. I made videos, I posted pics, and I connected with other like-minded individuals. But the topic for today's podcast is I'd like to share a couple things that I learned on this trip. Overall, it was a really fun weekend and it is possible to do weekends like this sober. I highly don't recommend you do it alone. You want to have another sober companion with you, but it was a lot of fun and it is doable. I do not recommend taking a trip like this in early sobriety. I've got almost three years of sobriety. Well, a little over two and a half years, but still, a trip like this can be very dangerous in early sobriety, so I wouldn't recommend it if you're within the first month, two, three, four, even your first year of sobriety. Now, I was good friends with about eight of the 12 people who went on this trip. There were a couple people that I've only met a couple times and some others I met for the first time. The first observation that I made, which I really wasn't too worried about, was that people didn't really care that I wasn't drinking. Hey Paul, we're going to play Flip Cup. Do you want to play? There's some cranberry juice over here. Hey Paul, we're playing beer pong. Grab a soda water. There were three people on that trip that had no idea that I had a podcast, that I didn't drink. And when I told those people, no, I'm good, I'll take a water, they were like, sweet, cool, who really cares? I'm including this in an observation because we create a lot of anxiety when we work these moments up in our mind of what it's like to tell people that we don't drink. We imagine they're going to run for the hills. In this case, they'd run for the boat on the lake in Michigan and just drive away or boat away without me. But that wasn't the case. Nobody really cares. The next observation that I made were these people were extremely appreciative to have two people who were sober on the trip. I didn't exactly raise my hand to be the DD. It just kind of happened by default. But I drove these people from bar to bar, to bar, to bar, and then home. No, way, wait, wait. We went to about three more bars and then home. Nope. Taco Bell drive through then home. Yeah, they were extremely appreciative that we were there. I ended up drawing a pretty short straw when it came to the bed allotments. And I ended up sleeping on the living room floor. What that means is you're the last one to go to bed and you're first one to wake up. I was the first one to wake up, regardless on that trip, just because I was not drinking. But I sure as hell didn't want to be the last one to go to bed. So there was a saint on the trip named Ben. Thank you, Ben. He looked at me day two. He like, this is stupid. Paul, you're taking my bed. Ben, you did me a huge solid. You did me a huge solid. Thank you, Ben. I nearly overdosed on Red Bull. Whenever these guys did a round of shots, which was frequent, they all came back with a Red Bull. Man, I had so many freaking Red Bulls. Again, these guys were so appreciative. They never forgot about Dusty and I, and they always included us. I confirmed that drunk people have the memory of a goldfish. I snapped twice on this trip, and here's one of them. After leaving the lake bar called Zorba's, which I think is on Otter Tail Lake up in Michigan, we were headed home. Everybody in the car was asking, where are we going, where are we going? Guys, it's two o'clock, the bar's just closed, we're going home. And after politely addressing that question, probably 13 times, a gentleman right behind me goes, Hey, Paul, where are we going? I turned around, looked at him, and I said, What do you have the f***ing memory of a goldfish? I just told everybody 15 times. We're going home. The silence ensued, followed by laughter and everybody pointing and laughing at the drunk guy. I did apologize to him the next day and ended up being a source of a lot of laughter for the weekend. And his nickname for the rest of the trip was, you guessed it, goldfish. Not because he ate a lot of goldfish crackers, but because he had the memory of a goldfish. I learned that hangovers suck. My last hangover was in September of 2014. It's been a long time since I've felt that physical pain. My heart didn't go out to them at all. But I saw them in acute physical pain due to the poison and the damage that it did to their bodies the next day. I saw people throwing up every day. On the third day of the trip, people really only left their rooms to visit the bathroom and to throw up. It was kind of disgusting. Another thing I realized was that perhaps some people on the trip were drinking on borrowed time. My drinking radar put about 2.5 people out of the 12 on the you might be an alcoholic soon scale. I hope I'm wrong and it very possibly could be. I really hope that I'm wrong. And the only person that can say they have a drinking problem is themselves. However, I've developed a pretty good drinking radar over the past couple years, especially with my experience doing the recovery elevator podcast. There was a gentleman who came down and started doing tequila shots day three at about 9am. I looked at him and through him, I saw myself. I used to do the exact same thing. There was another person on that trip that other car ride out there. They talked about how they were drinking alone two nights before the four nights of binge drinking were about to happen. That person won the award of drunkest person basically every night. They were great company. Don't get me wrong. They were a lot of fun to be around, and I hope I'm wrong again. A gentleman there celebrated his birthday over the weekend. His birthday started at around 1 p.m. Directly after that, he was leaning over the banister saying, I feel like I'm going to barf. From what I witnessed, his birthday sucked. He spent the whole birthday completely hungover. Like I mentioned, I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong. Another observation that I noticed was everybody overshot the mark. When I drank, I always aimed to land right in that sweet spot, right in between 17 and a half drinks and 18 drinks. However, that never happened. And it was comical to see the same thing with these normal drinkers. Well, most of them that I think are normal drinkers. They always overshot the mark. There was one guy who had a great move. Everybody who was doing a group of tequila shots, He clinked glasses with everybody else, took the shot, turned left, and spit it in the salt and pepper caddy. Great move. However, this gentleman was about 10 minutes away from overshooting the mark as well when the next round of shots came. Oh yeah, this was goldfish. I learned that alcohol kind of makes you an ass. This behavior wasn't necessarily directed towards me, but people got lippy. There was a little bit of drama, some snarky remarks that probably would not have been said while sober, but... The filter is totally gone when drinking. I learned the yawn game sucks. Actually, sucks is an understatement. There's this game that when you yawn, you try to stick three fingers down that person's mouth as far back as you can go. I was the DD. Right around 1.30, had a case of the yawns. In one of the yawns, I found three fingers jammed to the back of my mouth. My response, without even thinking, was bite down as hard as I could, followed by a Chuck Norris punch to the sternum. Again, as hard as I could. That was the last time I got yawn gamed on that trip. But that game sucks. I learned that I don't think Snapchat would exist without alcohol. So everybody loves Lionel Richie all night long, including myself. But drunk people, like I mentioned, they have the memory of a goldfish. We heard that song like 10 times a night. Great song, not back to back though. Okay, it is a great song back-to-back, and maybe even triple back-to-backs, but 10 times a night, too many times. I learned that sober check-ins are a good thing. My buddy Dusty and I, we'd meet on the dock at Zorbas a couple times through the evening and hash things out. Hey dude, how you doing, man? You doing good? Awesome. Want another soda water? Yeah, I'll be right back. We had these little sober powwows probably two to three times a night. It was really good, refreshing to know that somebody else was on my team. I don't know if I could have done it without you, Dusty. Thank you so much for being there. Dusty and I also had a great time people watching at these bars. My sobriety tracker indicates that I've saved around $26,000 in sobriety, which seems high, but I don't doubt it at all. This weekend alone, I probably saved two to $400 on booze between 10 people. They spent $600 on night one after we went to the liquor store, followed by copious drinks purchased at the bar. You'd think $600 would be enough for the trip, but the next day they're like, damn, we totally underestimated how much alcohol we're going to drink on this trip. So my estimate puts probably right around 300 bucks is what I saved. More money that I can put towards my professional bass fishing equipment. If there's one takeaway from this topic, it's that you can do this sober. You don't need a substance called alcohol, marijuana, or anything else to enjoy your time with your friends. And if you do need a substance to enjoy your time with your friends, you might need to reevaluate some things. I also really missed my standard poodle, Ben. Man, I love you, Ben. So, as Jay-Z would say, on to the next one. One sober trip done, bring it on next sober trip. Okay, now let's hear from Becky. Becky, how are you?
1: I'm good, Paul. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. Thanks for asking. Let's get right into this. Becky, how long have you been sober?
1: Um, I have been sober just over 10 months now. Uh, My sobriety date was, uh, my last drink was on June 12th of last year.
0: Nice job on that one. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what are some hobbies you like to do? What do you like to do for fun?
1: Sure. So I am 42. I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I still live here today. I have uh, two kids. One, I have a son that's in college, finishing up his last year, and then a daughter going into high school next year. Um, and I'm married. I have been in the HR industry for most of my sort of grown-up adult life. Worked for some some pretty good size corporate conglomerates. But just very recently, I left my corporate job and decided to start consulting. So I started my own business. So I I now work from home. I like to garden and cook. I volunteer at the USO. Right now, we're just really, really busy. We just moved. And so we're trying to, you know, settle the old house, you know, on the market and all that stuff. So even though I'm not, you know, formally working in a full-time job, I am really, really busy right now.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. And I've heard this story a couple times now, and I think these stories are fantastic. In fact, it's why I continue to get behind the microphone, but you started listening to the podcast, you know, we chatted before I hit the record button and you started listening to the podcast before your sobriety date of June 12th, 2016, but you heard a friend of yours on the podcast on episode 26 named Lisa and tell me a little bit about that.
1: Right. So Lisa and I were um, high school friends, and I, we were probably high school drinking friends. I don't remember a lot about some of my high school time, but we were, we were pretty good friends. And I think I had kind of you know found her on Facebook at some point, and I knew that she had been a, a lawyer and that she had lived in Chicago and then had recently moved, but we didn't really have any contact other than that. And when I realized, when I started to recognize that I had a problem with alcohol, which was a very long process for me, early last year, probably in the February March timeframe, about a year ago, I started seeking out podcasts to listen to. I had about a half hour commute every day, and one of them was yours. And um, you. and I thank you because you're why part of the reason why I'm, I'm sitting here today. But I started listening from the very first episode and kind of working my way up. And one day I can still remember, I was literally pulling into my garage and I was listening to the beginning of an intro and I was kind of only half listening um, as you sort of introduced the guest, and I wasn't paying too much attention. But, you know, as soon as her voice came on, I immediately recognized her voice. And so I, I went back and I backed up the, the podcast to listen to the introduction. And it, it was very clearly, I, I, I knew immediately who it was. And so I sat in my car and listened to it in the garage. And then I um, reached out to her through Facebook and said, I I know this sounds really weird and kind of awkward. And I'm sorry if this is, you know, presumptuous, but I think I heard you on a podcast. And so as a result of that, she and I started talking and I don't think it was too much longer after that, that I got sober. So um, she kind of talked me through it. She talked me through AA and talked me into going to go into my first meeting. And so, yeah, so that's why I'm you know, here today, I guess.
0: That is incredible. I love those stories. And, and another one that I want to share with you guys real quick is um, in one episode, I was mentioning my recovery team, pretty much everybody, you know, therapists, physicians. And I mentioned one of my doctor's names, Dr. Liesl Pessel. And somebody reached out to Dr. Liesl Pessel and was like, Hey, I heard your name on a podcast. And, and then she was like, Oh yeah, what podcast was that? He says recovery elevator. And then she was like, uh, okay, does that mean you are in recovery or you wanna quit drinking, and now I guess these two people Um, I, I, if I recall correctly, they've been in contact and, you know, one of them is a medical professional and then, you know, this person is helping the other person, you know, guide them into, into sobriety. And I think it's amazing just the reach of the podcast It's so cool. And also I want to touch up on being open about it. You know, what, what do you think would have happened if, if, if you didn't hear that podcast? I mean, sure you were, you, you maybe would have continued to listen to podcast episodes, but you know, that sounded like it was the impetus. Somebody you knew, somebody gave you the, you know, the inspiration, the courage. It's like, wait a second, Lisa from inside. Sophomore year phys ed class is, is doing this like I, I think I can do this was that something
1: like that yeah I mean that was part of it you know I um, I come from a long line of alcoholics um, my mother and grandmother and a couple of my brothers but I, I didn't really know anybody personally that was in recovery so you know definitely you know having someone that I felt comfortable reaching out to and, and just kind of tentatively asking some questions you know the other thing that looking back now that I think about a lot was, you know, they talk a lot about higher power in AA 12 step programs. And and that was something that, you know, I, I really had to kind of to work my way through, but there are other things that happened. So when I did eventually go to my first AA meeting um, after two or three attempts where I kind of chickened out, I went to one, I was sitting out in my car trying to kind of gather up the courage to go in. And someone that I used to work with uh, walked by the front of my car and opened the door and kind of waved at me to, you know, come into the building. He didn't <laughs> even know who I was. Oh, really? Um, so there, I have a lot of a lot of things like that where I can say someone or something was clearly trying to guide me in the right direction. So, yeah.
0: Somebody literally opened the door and waved for you to come on in. And did you yeah, go I mean, in that he meeting? Literally
1: beckoned, yeah. He literally beckoned me in. Yeah. Did you yeah, go and in? And I did. I went in. That was my first meeting.
0: Wow, that is so cool. There sounds like some divine stuff was lining up in place and and put you through it. And yeah, and let's talk about what you mentioned earlier that it was a long process to finally come to the realization that perhaps you had a drinking problem. Talk to me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, when I was younger in high school and in my 20s, I was a binge drinker. You know, I I drank a lot in high school. Um, I did some, some recreational drugs. My mom passed away when I was 18 and um, I went on like a two or three week vendor after that. And and that was kind of what my, my early adult life looked like. And then after a while, you know, I got, I, I got married with my first marriage and, and had a child and, you know, kind of got an adult job and my drinking tapered off quite a bit. And I probably didn't even drink for a couple of years somewhere in there. But then in my thirties, I started doing the, you know, I deserve a glass of wine after a long day of work. And it, it felt so sophisticated. You know, I wasn't pounding shots at the bar anymore, or blacking out. But I, you know, would come home and have a glass of wine, maybe, you know, a couple nights a week. And then it was, you know, three or four nights a week. And then it was, you know, maybe half a bottle of wine. And and probably about a year ago, well three years ago, I went through a really severe, very, very severe depression. And I started going to counseling. Um, and my therapist had recommended that maybe I back off the drinking a little bit, which really annoyed me. Um, <laughs> and she said, well, just see if you can quit for, you know, quit for a couple weeks and, and see what you think about that. Um, and so I did. I quit for two weeks. And then I was like, see, there's no problem here. Um, <laughs> I showed you. Right. right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I got through that period, uh, the depression, you know, I was able to manage that finally and it, it eased up. Um, but my drinking continued. And about a year ago, I had some blood work come back that was a little funky, nothing real serious. And it turned out to not be anything, but it it started to make me a little worried. And so I, you know, I thought, well, maybe I should back off. And I couldn't, I mean, Mm, I I was drinking, you know, a bottle to two bottles of wine a night. I was drinking every night, you know, I tried to, you know, just, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or I'm only going to have one glass and all of that stuff that, you know, we talk about people try to do. And I just couldn't. And I was miserable. I was, you know, not sleeping well. I would wake up in the middle of the night every night. And I just really was really, really miserable. Um, I didn't have any issues with work. I was excelling at work. I, you know, never had a DUI yet, I guess. None of those external, (laughs) right. Yeah. The the infamous yet. Um, None of those things happened, but inside I was just absolutely um, 100%, you know, shredded. And that was when, you know, I started listening to the podcast and then, you know, you know, came across Lisa's podcast and, and so on.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about you know, you said you were absolutely miserable and just shredded. And from what I'm hearing from you, and I think you'd agree, you're probably a high-bottom drunk, you know, a lot of the the yet scale. And talk to me about that. Um, it's I fully comprehend that if I drink again, there's a whole lot of yets that will happen. Um, tell me about the yet scale for you.
1: Sure. I was, you know... I was probably more of a risk to myself when I was younger and more in the binge drinking mode because I, I did, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I did, you know, drive under the influence. I put myself in really risky situations. I remember going, um, I was away at a corporate event. I was as a, as a facilitator for this leadership retreat. Um, and you know, there's always a lot of drinking that goes on at those things, but when you're a facilitator, you're supposed to be, you know, kind of a little bit on your best behavior. And I remember being, so hammered that I was stumbling around in this dark parking lot on the on the edge of the complex where we were staying I mean I couldn't I I was falling over like literally falling over and passing out like on the sidewalk and you know nothing bad happened I could have you know someone could have seen me that I worked with um, that would have had consequences Um, I could have you know come across a stranger you know that had you know bad motives or whatever, but nothing like that happened. And that was during sort of my binge drinking years. So I didn't really leave the house a lot. What would happen is, is I would, you know, work my, you know, 10, 11, or 12 hour day, um, come home and be in a rush to get everything done, get the dinner done, get the homework helped out because I had a schedule and I had a, a date with my bottle of wine. You had
0: drinks safe. awaiting.
1: That's right. Yeah. So you know, I didn't want anything to get in the way of that. And, and my family and, and, you know, other obligations included. So, you know, sort of my expectation that by seven thirty eight o'clock at night, I should be able to sit down and, you know, drink. And so I just, you know, it just, the fact that I couldn't stop, the fact that I knew that, you know, my mother was an alcoholic and I knew how horrible that was for me as a, as a kid. It just really, um, the, the, shame was just terrible. Um, and that I think was probably the worst thing it was just the shame.
0: Becky, it sounds like you were sick and tired of being sick and tired, which is a common thread on this podcast. You know, some people have a severe rock bottom moment, which is obvious, cleared, it's transparent that, you know, drinking needs to go, but it sounds to me like you were just straight up sick and tired of being sick and tired. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, I there's just so much self-loathing. I would wake up, you know, in the middle of the night, like 2, 2.30 every night, and I would just hate myself, you know, and a lot of times I would kind of forget, you know, what had happened the night before. I remember, this was just a couple years ago, my daughter had, had left to go down the street to visit a friend, and I woke up in the morning, and I couldn't remember if she had come home. Hmm. For, for probably fifteen minutes, I had to really kind of puzzle through that and make sure that I remembered whether or not she had come home that night and she was probably about eleven or twelve at that time. so yeah I, it was it, it was gradual, but it was I was you know pretty miserable at the end.
0: So how did you do it? How did you get through day one, day two, day three of sobriety? How'd you do it?
1: Oh gosh, well, you know, the first thing I did is I actually talked to someone uh, so I talked to Lisa first. Mm-hmm. So that was the first person that I actually out loud or, you know, specifically said, I think I have a problem. And then shortly after I I talked to my husband who is wonderful and, and just, you know, the, the best kind of man, you know, that I could ask for, but, um, and, I, and I think he knew that there was a problem, but uh, he never said anything to me about it. And so, you know, I was so emotional and so kind of, raw at that point that I couldn't even speak to him in person. I actually typed it out in a note on my, on my tablet mm-hmm. and passed it to him one evening. It was actually the last night I drank. I, I'd already, you know, had a few glasses of wine and just sat there and bawled while he read it. And I think that was really sort of the, the first part. And that was the last time I had a drink. Um, so the first, you know, day, I think I was just sort of in shock that I had you know, kind of, <laughs> Outed myself, and and I was emotionally kind of worn out. The first, you know, week two weeks were really tough. You know, I was very raw and squirly, and I mean, it was. I really struggled the first couple weeks. I think I went to my first meeting within the first week after quitting drinking, which helped tremendously. Just being around other people who kind of understood what I was going through. I would say probably the first 30 days were pretty tough for me. I was a little short on patience and and like I said, just kind of squirrely. But then after that, it started to even out a little bit um, after I had about 30 days and I started actually feeling not just physically better, but, you know, also, you know, mentally better.
0: And listeners, I want to comment on a huge value bomb that Becky dropped earlier and that was that she talked with someone. Now, this might seem like common sense and no brainer, something that is quite obvious. However, picking up that phone or having an in-person conversation is freaking hard, which is probably why you can imagine that she wrote a note on her iPad. And, you, you know, had that been a middle school, that note would have been folded up in nice origami <laughs> shapes passed down the line to your husband. But an iPad is not malleable, so that is not possible. But simply reaching out is huge. It was no coincidence that when I had those deep conversations with my mom and my dad, my brother, my seven best friends in my fantasy football league. And, uh, you know, a week before I got sober, I called my parents. They didn't pick up and I called my mom, my dad, my brother just you know, kept calling each one. And I was telling them I needed to go to rehab. And it wasn't until then that the rubber hit the road. And that is a huge value bomb absolutely um and and there was a thread in cafe r e the other day about patience. you know people in early sobriety have noticed that their patience is not what it used to be, and you mentioned it day you know within the first thirty days the the patience was difficult. Tell me about that
1: yeah i mean i just I just really needed I guess you know like I said, my husband is is pretty wonderful, and he knew that it was you know tough for me and, and so I had to just kind of tell him, look I, I just need a minute or I need to go to another meeting or um, I just everything just kind of riled me up I was just very anxious and um, short you know short of patience I can remember you know I would feel the cravings kind of wash over me and I realized pretty quickly that the the harder that I tried to fight them the worse they got and so I I kind of put myself in the habit of when I would feel them coming on I would just sit with it so some I would disappear a lot you know to you know to somewhere quiet where I could just kind of sit and just sort of let it wash over me um, because I found that if I didn't fight it and I kind of really just picked it up and looked at it, turned around in my, my mind a little bit that it, it normally would go away more quickly than if I tried to, to push it away. So I just, you know, found that the more that I could talk to other alcoholics and the more that I could kind of just have a little space, you know, other than that. That was just really
0: valuable in those first thirty days. Becky, you're on a roll here with these value bombs. So I'm gonna comment on (laughs) the last one that you mentioned is the more you try to fight the waves, the cravings, the harder it became. And oftentimes that is the best solution is to just let them come, let them roll over you, just like a wave would go up the ocean or the beach and roll back down. Eventually the cravings were passed. Scientific studies show that cravings have a lifespan of anywhere from like five to twenty minutes, but eventually they will pass now earlier you mentioned something that i want to touch base on that you had some trepidation or some hesitations with the god part or the higher power part of aa tell me more about that
1: i mean i i am um i mean if you were if i were going to classify myself i guess i would call myself agnostic um i was raised christian but not you know we were not church-going family Um, i think i went to sunday school when i was really small and so i it was more that I just didn't know how I wanted to bring that part of the 12-step program into my recovery, and I wasn't sure how it would fit because I don't really know what I think about, you know, the higher, you know, the concept of a higher power, but I, I feel like, you know, I, I talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, the coincidence of, of hearing, you know, Lisa on your podcast of of seeing, you know, the person that I saw the first time I went to a meeting. There were others, you know, the, the woman who was my temporary sponsor actually was friends with my sister. She took me to a meeting with her sponsor, who was the mother of someone that I drank very heavily with when I was in high school. Um, when we pulled up to the house, I was like, I know I've been here before, so there's all of those things, and you can call them coincidences, but I choose to believe that they were my higher power, whatever that is, whatever that force is. And so once I could see that, that trepidation went away. And and for a while it was just, you know, the the higher power of, you know, what they what they call in some of the meetings that I've been to, a group of drunks. It's really just about you. You can't do it by yourself. Um, you, you need some outside assistance, whatever that is. And I think that that's, you know, where that shift happens for me is when I recognize that, you know, reaching out to people and kind of recognizing all of these things that kind of put me on this path that were outside of myself is what I needed.
0: Becky, I got two things. Number one, you need to start your own recovery podcast because you are just touching up (laughs) on all these killer recovery concepts. And number two, I want to touch up on What you just mentioned is the acronym G-O-D for a lot of people. That's the capital G-O-D, capital H-E. But for you, it's group of drunks. That would be God. Group of drunks for a lot of people. Their higher power is simply the people sitting in the room. And the big one that you've just mentioned, which is the whole structure and foundation of what Recovery Elevator is, the community, is you can't do this alone. You need to be surrounded with other like-minded individuals, and how important is that to your recovery?
1: Oh, it's really, really important. You know, I I don't think that I could have gotten sober without being able to to access a, a local 12-step program. I went nearly every day for the first, you know, probably four or five weeks, and then, you know, pretty regularly after that. I don't go to those meetings as often now. I go when I need to, so if I feel myself starting to get squirrely, then I will drop in on a meeting um but i am in you know, active in you know some some different you know virtual groups as well and i've you know kind of made a network where i you know touch base with a lot of people and there's just you know i can talk to you know friends and family and and i do some um but they don't understand really they you know they're they're normal drinkers so um it's really really critical for me anyway to to be able to speak with and and talk to um, other people who, you know, have, have kind of been down this path.
0: Now, is your HP still the, the group of drunks, the G O D, or do you have another HP at this moment?
1: Uh, no, my HP is really the, you know, it's whatever that, that force is. I don't know, you know, I, I guess I'm not, I don't prescribe necessarily to the, to the you know, persona of, of a particular deity, I guess, as much as, you know, there's something out there, some force, some, you know, I don't know if if you want to call it more of a, a Buddhist kind of leanings or whatever, but there's something out there. I, I strongly, you know, believe that it wasn't just a series of, you know, weird coincidences, but there was some force that was kind of rooting for me. So whatever you want to call that, I guess, is, is fine with me.
0: And walk me through a typical day of Becky. With 10 months of sobriety, how do you maintain your sobriety?
1: Well, I, now that I'm working from home, um, I have a lot more flexibility, which has been great. I've been meditating for the past several months. Um, I try to meditate every day. Sometimes I don't hit that, but um, I try to meditate for 15 minutes at minimum every day. I try to journal for about 20 minutes every day. So I literally set the timer on my phone and just write longhand for 20 minutes. And then, you know, I kind of, you know, try and just break up my day and and be as balanced as I can. I try and get a little exercise, whether that's taking the dogs for a walk or going to the gym. Um, I try to do some, you know, kind of work work. I try to do some, you know, home chores kind of thing. Um, I try and, you know, talk to at least one person every day who, you know, another alcoholic, I, you know, I created my own, you know, sort of blog. It's, it's really more of just a online journal at this point, but for me, it was important that I didn't just stop drinking, but that I actually, you know, did something to improve my life. And so I, I created um, what I call my 2.0 project, which yeah, is really just how do we find that kind of blog? journaling about, um, it's www.my2, as in the number, P-O-I-N-T-0.com, or project.com. Um, it's just kind of rambling, you know, kind of going through the decision that I made to leave my job, to start my own business. I do some book reviews on there. Some of them are recovery-related. Some of them are Um, I mean, it's really, I think I have like, you know, maybe three readers or something, but it was just a way for me to kind of start making myself accountable to addressing, you know, everything holistically and not just not drinking because that wasn't enough for me.
0: Well, you are well on your way of making a recovery blog or podcast podcast. And my first podcast episode was listened to hang on let me count on my fingers one two three four actually zero times zero times <laughs> yeah and now we're getting anywhere from three to seven thousand listens a day which is just mind-boggling yeah. and so i think that's awesome and you're again you're probably writing this not even caring if, who visits the blog or whatnot because it's a great way to hold yourself accountable in the journal just to get those feelings out on paper and, and you know the your website will be in the show notes you can go to recoveryelevator.com. I think it's episode 121, which this is going to be. And you can check that out and visit her blog. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to check it out, too. It sounds awesome. And and Becky, with, uh, with 10 months of sobriety, what have you learned most about yourself?
1: Oh, gosh. I have learned that um, I am – Probably a lot more type A than I would have ever thought, and I think I've learned that I really have to not just cut myself a break but cut cut other people a break as well. What does
0: type A and, mean? And I, think, I only know my blood type what is what is type A and type <laughs> B? I actually have no idea what just, that means
1: you know, very very um you know analytical and controlling and just, you know, it's funny, I took a I took a personality thing for something, for work or something, and it came back and said that I was type A, and I told my husband, I'm like, it said I was type A, that can't be right, and he just kind of chuckled <laughs> because he knew, <laughs> he knew, and I was really dumbfounded, but I am, I'm just, you know, I, I want things a certain way, and I'm very particular, and I get, you know, a lot of anxiety if things aren't just so and I've, I've learned that I have to let a lot of that go because it's not good for my, you know, mental health um, and my well-being um, when I'm that, you know, tied up on things being just so.
0: Well, if you're type A, then that puts me at type Q. Thanks for explaining that to me. That makes a lot of sense. And, <laughs> and Becky, what's on your bucket list of sobriety? What do you want to achieve with this new life that you've given yourself?
1: Um, You know, in terms of of what I want to achieve with my sobriety, I, you know, just want to wake up every day, you know, feeling good and feeling strong. I want to, you know, try to help other people. So I've made some contacts here locally with with the Sober Living House and offered up my services sort of pro bono uh, since I have an HR background to, you know, help prepare, you know, people coming out of, you know inpatient care into sober living, helping them, you know, find jobs and get through interviews and things like that. So I, I, you know, my 2.0 project um, was really just about, you know, kind of making a, a better life for myself and, and kind of just, you know, being a better person overall. Of course, sobriety is a big part of that because I would, you know, if I hadn't gotten sober um, I would still be, you know, kind of doing that same miserable corporate grind at this point and just, you know, being miserable with myself.
0: Becky we have reached the rapid fire round if you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds that would be great are you ready
1: I am ready
0: righty. number one Becky what was your worst memory from drinking
1: uh, my worst memory from drinking was actually the, the day that my dad passed my dad had been very ill and it wasn't a surprise that he was was you know about to pass but it was on Halloween and I had been drinking all night um, and then I went directly to the hospital. And so he, he passed early the next morning. But for a good portion of that night, I was, you know, pretty hammered. Um, mm. And that was a that was a pretty bad way, you know, to kind of leave things, I guess.
0: We've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you can't control your drinking?
1: Not really because it was such a, you know, slow and, and pervasive I I think that I just, you know, over time, I kept trying over and over again to control my drinking and and kept failing. um, And then finally admitted to myself that, you know, that wasn't working for me.
0: And Becky, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: I plan to go to bed sober tonight. That's about as far as I'm going to go with with my sobriety plan.
0: That's the first time I've heard that on this podcast. I love that answer. (laughs) (laughs) And what's your favorite resource in recovery you mentioned earlier that you listen to several podcasts in early recovery I'm curious uh, what those podcasts were and it doesn't you can mention several resources if you want
1: sure so um, I mean I listen to your podcast of course I listen to to O at the share podcast and uh, that sober guy um, I also listen to the ritual podcast which isn't necessarily sobriety related but is phenomenal in terms of kind of living your best uh, life
0: yeah, he's um, good. in
1: general yeah, um I I pick up a lot of book recommendations through all of those podcasts and I so I read a lot of books um, and and of course AA, you know, is still a good resource for me as well.
0: What's your favorite recovery book?
1: You know, I think it's probably there's a book called Being Sober that was written by uh, he's the clinical director for um the Betty Ford Clinic. And I, I actually I heard about this book from a podcast. Um, it was the first book that I read, and it was a really really great kind of how to how to get sober, how to work through AA, all of those things. It was a really really good book.
0: I'm writing that down again. This will be in the show notes if you want to go and see that book. Go to the website. Now, next question in regards to sobriety, Becky. What's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Well, there, there was a guy that in one of my AA meetings that would always introduce himself, his name was Brian, and he would always say, hi, I'm Brian, I'm an alcoholic, and I drink, but we don't. Um, and what he was saying was, is that, you know, the, the, the group, the AA group is what allowed him to stay sober. And, and so I always liked that, and, um, I drink, but we don't, um, because I think it, you know, pushes back or points back to what we talked about earlier in terms of needing, you know, other people to, to help.
0: And before we depart, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about quitting drinking?
1: Um, The only thing I can tell people is to reach out to whoever um, they they can. You know, to reach out um, to not you know feel shame or be embarrassed. It's not a weakness. Um, It's an illness, and it's okay to reach out to people and ask for help.
0: On my to-do list today, I'm going to make two videos, one for Cafe RE and one for the Recovery Elevator public Facebook page about just that topic, about reaching out and why, you know, we're so afraid to do it. And it's going to kind of be in like a video challenge type deal. And, oh yeah, forgot, before we depart, Becky, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I gave this one some thought. So I live in Indiana, which has blue laws, which means you can't buy alcohol on Sundays. Um, So you might be an alcoholic if you schedule your entire grocery shopping experience um, around not shopping on Sundays.
0: (laughs) I love it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Becky, and helping me stay sober.
1: Thanks, Paul.
0: We've got not one, but two spots left for the Recovery Elevator Retreat this coming August 24th to 27th in beautiful Bozeman, Montana capacity is 35 we've currently got 33 so if you want to join this trip do not wait any longer it's going to fill up fast recovery elevator we took the elevator down we got to take the stairs back up we can do this